Hello, welcome to the podcast Rain Check Edition. I'm out walking the dog and it has started nailing it down, so I'm hiding under a tree. Let's talk open world games. So, there is a sort of set in stone formula at this point for open world games. Mostly the stone it was set in was set by uh, Ubisoft. Now, there are two games that came out recently. One of them, Horizon Zero Dawn, is an example of pretty much the best you can do with this framework in mind. It follows the tropes of the open world game, but it does so very, very well. On the other end, we have Breath of the Wild. Now, Breath of the Wild takes the opposite track. It shows what can be achieved in the case of ignoring these rules and striking out on your own. The rules are fairly simple. You have a large open world. In it, there are story missions. Go to a place, do a thing. Maybe follow something to a place. Uh, You will have cutscenes and conversations and such in which you will learn more about the story by doing these. And there are some areas of the world that will be gated, uh, generally unlocked by doing story missions. In each of various areas, there will also be side missions, which are not directly related to the plot. You don't need to do them, but doing them will power up your character and make it easier to do the story missions. Uh, on top of this, you might have stuff like a, uh, tra- a crafting system, where you go off and collect things in the world incidental to any missions and use those to power up the character in some way. You might also have actual collectibles, like those goddamn feathers, where you will pick up a thing and it'll go, ah, you have collected one of these. Go and find the other 99. Here's a bunch of map markers. You end up with a map entirely filled with little icons and a big shopping list of things you have to do. And that's fine. It's a bit old now, but it's fine. It does the job. What it does, the job it particularly does is it keeps people playing. It means that people will go, oh, I'll just do this side mission, or oh, I'll just collect this. We're, we're good at patterns, and we like to see things completed. So when you pick up an item, and it says you've, and it says you've collected uh, one of a hundred of these, there's a little part of a lizard brain that goes, you need those other 99 things. You need them. You should go and get them. It kicks into something deep. So, Horizon Zero Dawn uses these tropes. It has main missions and a bit of gating from them. It's got side missions, which are unrelated, but well-billed. It's got uh, collectibles. Well, it's got things in the world you can kill to get power-ups, like you can murder wildlife in order to increase the amount of stuff you can carry in your magic bag of holding in some way. And you can go off and collect metal flowers. And when you get enough of them, you can go to a trader and trade them in for a big pile of cash or something special. This is all fairly standard, but the way it's executed and the world it's in are so well done that I don't mind. That I will go and I will collect the flowers and I will do the side missions and I will accept that I'm gated from this area because I care about the characters, I'm intrigued by the story, the pacing is beautiful, and I feel like I can choose not to and it will be fine. One of the... There's a couple of really good things they do. The first, and the most obvious, is you're fighting giant robots. Some of them are like dinosaurs. Most of them are like big cats or bulls or other animals. And then some are super out there. And each of these, when you encounter them, you can scan them using your doohickey. And you will see what they've got. What components are attached to them. What elements they are weak to and all of this kind of stuff. 
you then have to use this information and the environment around you to stealth up, set up traps, in some way prepare the ground for the ensuing combat. If you knock bits off them, you can generally pick up those bits afterwards and you'll get bonuses. So, for example, there are these canisters of thing called blaze, basically fuel, petrol, explosive. Lots and lots of creatures run off them and have them attached to them. If you knock one off, you can go off and collect it. And that will be in addition to whatever's on the creature. It's a little bit gamey. Hit this thing off and you will get it. But I'm sure there's some... Someone can do some wave hand explaining as to why. It, it's, it's a bit gamey, but it's good gamey. You can also, for example, knock off a bit that's... You've got a thing called bellybacks, which have giant sacks of fuel on their back and will be a flamethrower. You can blow up that sack of fuel with enough damage. It'll blow up, hurting everything in the area, and then they can't do flamethrowers anymore. You can think about these things and approach them in good ways. And it really rewards considerable gameplay, or considerating gameplay. The other thing that's really good is that they have a lot of self-motivated questing. For example, there is a weapon I wanted. It's a thing called a rope caster. You hit an enemy with it, and then shoot it into the ground, and it will then tie them down. And if you hit them with enough of them, they will then get tied down to the ground, and they're at your mercy for a while. Really good. Good for stabs and also hacking people, because you can hack people in this. Now, the weapon I wanted, the trader didn't just want money for it. He also wanted, I believe it was a, a heart of one of the enemies, a CPU. Now, they don't drop very often, and I was did not know this kind of thing existed, so I was selling all the ones I got. So I had a choice. I could go off and get some money, and then go to a trader I'd found who sells these components to buy one. Or, I could run off to some nearby locations where I know these robots hang out, murder a bunch, get a load of money, and also get the component. And they don't drop very often, so you'll have to fight them a fair bit, but you'll also be levelling up and getting other stuff while you're doing it. And it's really nice to set your own little missions and go off and do them. The brain likes that a lot more than, you should do this. It's far better if you go, hmm, I think I should do this. And that's a really well-done section of it. Also, you can go off and you can... Let's say you need more blaze for your fire arrows. There are enemies that have lots of blaze canisters on them. You can go off and hunt some of them down and specifically look into knocking the blaze canisters off to harvest them better and get more stuff and be more efficient in your hunting. And that feels really good, where you're going, I need to harvest more of these. I don't just need to kill this animal. I need to approach it intelligently. It makes you think a bit more about the way you do things. The other big thing that Horizon Zero Dawn does, which makes me want to uh, play it as much as I can, is the characters and the story are great. The As you go on, as your map expands, the scope of the story expands with it. So at the start, it was about you. And as it goes on, it's about your tribe, and then the area you're in, and then the world, and then the future. And it just grows and grows more organically than... Here is the start of the game. Welcome, your only hope. And a lot of characters I really, really like. They can be a bit wordy, the cutscenes can be a bit long, but I have a tendency of skipping through dialogue because I've read it already because I've got subtitles up, but it's still absolutely engaging. I still want to know what the hell's going on, but I haven't finished it yet. So Horizon Zero Dawn, to me, is basically the best way that you can do this kind of design. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have Breath of the Wild. Now, I've not played Breath of the Wild, but I've read an incredible amount about it, and I really, really want to play it. I'm currently looking into selling my previous consoles and games in order to get some money towards buying a Switch for this. 
Now, Breath of the Wild does away with one of the big problems in this narrative, in this structure that we've set up for open world games. Let's take as an example uh, Fallout 4. In Fallout 4, yeah, in Fallout 4, you are quest. Your quest is basically, I want to go and find my child, and that's a good quest and it's a fine quest and it's a good motivation for the character. It's a bit, a little bit fridgy, but it's fine. It's a, it's an easy enough motivation people can understand. So what is it? The moment you walk out, you get involved with the local resistance group and go off and find all these five quests and you go, ooh, here's a mine. I'm going to go into it and see what happens. Rather than putting every effort towards your goal. This is called Ludonarrative Dissonance. And it's a drinking game. Wherever you hear that, you should drink. So if you've got a cup of tea handy, that would work. Because you're, the character in the world of the game has a quest to go and find their child. You, as a player might not care or might get distracted or might at one point like i did forget what your mission is and go oh yeah i had a kid once but in cutscenes and in stuff you vitally care now this happens in lots and lots of games and it's not really a problem it's just a it's a bit of a problem but it's a known one with just about every game that exists breath of the wild does away with it it manages to solve that problem because your quest is defeat ganon and you can do that from the start you can jump out of your place where you wake up, you can pick up a stick, and you can run to where Gan is, and you will die. You won't even get to the front door. Enemies with lasers will kill you. And this is good, because every other thing in this game, or any collectibles, any interesting places to go, any stuff you do, will power you up for this final fight. Get distracted. Go and do interesting and weird things. That's good. That feeds into the main core narrative of a of the second act of a three-act structure where the hero goes to power up for the third act that's great it means they've taken away the core sort of storyline conceit of here are some characters expositing at you and go no no this is your story this is your adventure i should probably get out from under this tree yeah go and have an adventure Go and find some stuff, go and do some things. Jasper, yep. Go and have fun, and everything you do will feed into the story. It is your story. There's some bits, there are, there, there is some gating, but from what I've heard, it is natural gating. It is, I want to get up onto the top of that ridge, so I will try and climb it. Oh, I have run out of stamina for climbing and have fallen off. I'm not quite good enough at climbing, or I've not got enough stamina to do the climbing. I need to go and get better at that so I can get up. Ooh, it's hailing. And this dismissal of the general structure, and it's not even a dismissal, it's a subversion of it, is why sort of Nintendo are really good at this kind of thing, because they've taken their time, they've looked at all of the games that are coming out, and they've gone, I think we can do better. What if this? What if this happened? What if the player was in control? And so they've gone, as I've said, they were going back to the roots of the original Zelda, in order to get more out of the game for people. And I think if people, if designers thought a lot more like that, then we'd make a lot more better games. We'd be able to not just go to the first person shooter, but for example, what if you were first person, but you weren't shooting people but solving puzzles like in the portal? These kind of games which subvert a no norm are pretty much the best and it's the reason why at some point in the not too distant future i'm going to drop a big pile of money and buy a switch 
Right. This weather is not getting any better, and I've had to abandon my tree for fear of lightning strikes. So I will bid you adieu, and I shall catch you again next time. Catherine, come on. <laughs>